Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the mist that watered the earth, as we pick up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Now it would seem that there was not a rain until the time of Noah. Prior to that, in the evening, a mist would arise out of the ground and the earth would be watered with this dew or with this mist. Now it is interesting that even though there was not rain, there were rivers. Four rivers that proceeded out from the Garden of Eden. How could you have rivers without rain? Creates an interesting problem that you can speculate on. But it is very possible that there were subterranean caverns of uh, with, with tremendous volcanic heat and forces and water coming in from the sea through the subterranean caverns into this steam generator, so to speak, the volcano, the steam going up and, of course, then condensing and flowing as water. And you could have uh, a water supply that way. You could have had, at that point, a lot of subterranean water And of course, with this tremendous moisture blanket around the atmosphere, it could have provided a humidity. And of course, at night, the mist going up, the earth was watered by this way prior to the flood. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And man became a living soul. And so we are told that God in chapter 1 said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into man's nostrils. And man became a living soul. Created in the likeness of God with the ability to worship God and the ability to fellowship with God. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So eastward would have been east of where he had created Adam. There is no way to really no directions. We don't know where the Garden of Eden was. There is no way of finding out where the Garden of Eden was because Since that time, there have been several cataclysmic changes of the earth's geography, which have changed the courses of rivers and mountains and and the whole thing. 
There's a very interesting book by Emanuel Velikovsky entitled Earth in Upheaval, in which he shows that the Himalayas and the Andes have both been formed in actually very recent years. Uh, there are indications at Lake Titicaca that there were civilizations around the lake when the lake was at a much lower altitude, down about 7,000 feet or so. But in the last 5,000 years, there's been a thrust upwards of the Andes and thus the lake now being at around a 10,000 foot elevation. Uh, but the, the book is, is quite interesting and quite challenging mentally, but all it is basically declaring is that there have been many changes of the Earth's surface during the time of man's history. The flood no doubt altered the whole geographical face of the earth. And there is one interesting little scripture that we know very little about, but there's just sort of a side comment concerning the time of Peleg, that it was in his time that the earth was divided. Now there some of the latest theories are concerning the continental drifts. That at once everything was connected together, but the continents have drifted and are still drifting. If that theory is correct, it would be very interesting, this little side like, when did that happen? How long ago? What well, happened at the time of Peleg? And... Uh, and it's just, it really is just sort of thrown in there just as a little grabber and uh, something to uh, create an area for people to speculate about. God doesn't say any more about the earth being divided except that one little remark, and we'll get to it in a uh, while here in Genesis. As it gives the genealogies, as it gives his genealogy, it just gives that little... Uh, Add addition to it, and it was in his days that the earth was divided. So the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And so God made really a special place for Adam. He formed this garden, or he planted this garden, and then he placed man in it. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here was a beautiful garden, blossoming trees and fruit-bearing trees, all there for man to just enjoy. It must have been absolutely, fabulously beautiful. God planted a garden, put in it all these beautiful flowering trees and fruit-bearing trees. And in the middle of the garden, there were two trees, 
One, the tree of life, and the other, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it was parted and became into four rivers. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Hivala, where there is gold. Now, if you can only figure out where that is, you could go prospecting. Havila, where is it? I don't know. But as I say, the whole structure of the earth has been so changed that there's no way of knowing, really. The gold that, in, that is of that land is good. There is also bedillium and onyx stone. And the name of the second river is the Gihon, and the same is that which compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia, but no doubt a different location than where it is today. Some believe that this perhaps is a reference to the Nile River, but there is really very little relation between the Nile and the Tigris and the Euphrates, which the next two rivers, the third river, the Hittikel, is actually the Tigris River. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. So two of the rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and some believe that these other two rivers were actually sort of channels that connected uh, the Tigris and the Euphrates there in the Babylonian plain. And uh, they have, most of them, tried to locate the Garden of Eden somewhere they're in the Babylonian plain between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. They say that that is the cradle of civilization. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now notice, it wasn't that man didn't have anything to do. God put him there to dress the garden and to keep it. Some people picture heaven as, you know, sitting on a cloud and playing a harp and twiddling your thumbs in between numbers. Like, you know, there's going to be nothing to do. Not so. God placed man in the garden to dress it and to keep it. Life would be awfully boring if there were nothing to do. But the labor that man expended in the garden wasn't sweating kind of labor. That didn't come until after his sin that he was going to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. Up to then, it was just a matter of taking care of it, a caretaker, and dressing it and keeping it. Far from the concept that the modern ecologist are trying to throw a guilt onto the Bible, saying that the man's raping of nature comes from the Bible because God said to have dominion over the earth, and, and thus man just feels that he can just do anything he wants and destroy it. And thus the Bible is to blame for all of the ecological damage in the world today. Oh, how stupid can people get? God didn't say to Adam, just go and, you know, mess it all up. Destroy it. Cut down the trees. 
And he said, no, dress it and keep it. Really, I believe that only a child of God has a true appreciation of nature. A far greater appreciation of nature than a humanist. They are the ones who through greed have not cared for the world that God created and have so destroyed it by greed, but not by a Christian or biblical principle at all. That's so much foolishness. But there are people who like to blame God and blame Christians for any problems. For in doing that, they are pointing attention away from themselves and their own guilt. God said, dress it, keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely eat die. So here is man placed in an ideal environment under ideal conditions. Couldn't ask for it any nicer, any better. Placed in this beautiful garden that God had planted. All kinds of fruit trees. All kinds of luscious fruits to eat of. And man is given only one restriction. That tree that is in the midst of the garden, you're not to eat of it. And then as though God knew that he was going to, he said, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Literally, dying thou shalt surely die. In other words, death processes will begin the day you eat of that fruit. Now, it was really a twofold death. It was a spiritual death, but it was the beginning of physical death for man. It doesn't really seem that God's requirements were too stringent, but why would God put that tree there anyhow? Of all the trees that God planted in the garden, why would he plant that tree? Just think, had he not planted that tree, we wouldn't have all of the problems that we have in the world today. And if God knew that man was going to eat of it, why would he put it there? And surely God did know if he indeed is omniscient, which I am confident that he is. God created man after his image, and God, being self-determinate, created man also self-determinate, giving to man a free will. One of the most awesome things that you have is the power of choice. You can choose your own destiny. 
You can choose whether or not you want God to have a part in your life. You can choose to obey God or disobey God. You can choose to love God or hate God. You can choose to serve God or serve your own flesh. God has given to you the capacity of choice. Now, it is interesting to me, wherever the Christian gospel has gone, there has been a very high respect for the power of choice. Freedom. The freedom to choose. And whenever there is a waning of the gospel in any area, what is the consequence? A slavery of man. The loss of freedoms. Look at those nations ruled by communism today. How they have taken away the freedoms of choice and made them very restricted and very restrictive. And as we see in this country, more and more governmental controls, we realize that with each new law, there comes a confining of the freedom of choice. But always where the Christian gospel has gone, it has taken with it a respect for the freedom of choice because God gave to us the freedom of choice. And we respect it as a God-given capacity. But what value would it be to have a freedom of choice if there was nothing to choose? It would be totally meaningless that God gave to me the power to choose, but I don't have anything to choose. It's all there. It's all laid out. There's no law. There's no restriction. There's nothing. Therefore, I have no choice to make. Therefore, my power of choice is really meaningless. So in order that the power of choice be meaningful, God had to give a choice. God had to make a restriction in order that man's obedience to God might be meaningful, God had to give the opportunity to disobey and the choice to disobey. The power of choice is the thing that makes man something other than a robot. God could have made us all robots. With no choices, every decision coming from a superior mind that is controlling every action, every decision of my whole life and my body and everything else. But God didn't want a bunch of robots because you could never receive meaningful love or meaningful fellowship from a robot. For love to be meaningful, the power of choice must be there. For obedience to be meaningful, the power of choice must be there. And so that my worship of God, my love for God, might be fully meaningful to God, He gave to me the capacity of choice. I don't have to worship Him. I don't have to love Him. I can choose to do it or not to do it. That's my choice. 
But when I choose to love God, then my love for God becomes meaningful unto God because it's a choice. I'm not a robot. I'm not just responding in a preset condition that God has built into my mental apparatus where he pushes a button in heaven and there are certain little flashes go across my brain and my body responds automatically to these impulses from God. And I say, I love you, God. <laughs> Doesn't turn anybody on. God wants our love to be meaningful. He gave us the power of choice. But then he had to give us something to choose. But in order that the power of choice be meaningful, not only must there be something to choose, but then God must respect the choice that I make. In other words, he can't force me to choose. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 2 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you. May his hand be upon your life this week, that your life might be a testimony in your home, in the office, at your place of work, wherever you are, as that nature and character of Christ is revealed in you. And thus may men be drawn unto our Lord, and may your life be used as a witness for God's glory. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The Word for Today is pleased to present a flash drive of audio Bible studies by Kay Smith titled, A Collection of Cherished Messages. Just listen to what others are saying. Kay Smith changed my life. Her teachings encouraged me to want more of Jesus. And through her counsel and mentoring, I fell in love with Him in a deeper way. When I first heard Kay, I was driving in my car. I was so moved that it brought me to tears because I needed to repent. 
that moment impacted my life to be a better mom and who I am today. Renew your strength, please. I beg, I beseech, I entreat, and if there's any other word, I do that too. Get in His Word. Make it more than your necessary food every day. Kay Smith has a special place in her heart to teach and encourage women to live for Jesus. To order this flash drive with over 90 audio messages by Kay Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673.